this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney at Play podcast. Well, we've had a chance to review Remy's Ratatouille experience last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, be sure to check it out because we go through in detail, uh, without too many spoilers, that entire ride experience. Since then, however, we visited the attraction another three times and have had a chance to really map out the entire extension of the park behind what has been traditionally considered the France Pavilion. In size, the addition is the equivalent, if not larger, of a world showcase land like United Kingdom or Italy. We canvas the entire area of the park giving our impressions. We also talk about some of the food and beverage we had a chance to taste. Then finally, we revisit the attraction with some additional thoughts not shared previously. This is not an impression de France as we know it, but an impression de Remy's France. Be sure to check out DisneyAtPlay.com. That post is going to contain a number of photos detailing many of the things that we're going to be talking about in this podcast. Also showcases a new video called Impression de, de Remy's France, which is kind of a play on the Impression de France film, only it is about the sights and sounds of this new addition to Epcot. Let us begin. We're going to cover three things. We're going to talk about the Allée des Marchands, the Alley of the Merchants, which is the main boulevard where the new attraction is. We're going to talk a little bit about food and beverage. And then we're finally going to, um, again, cover some additional thoughts and details about the uh, attraction itself, which is, of course, the carrot or maybe the cheese that attracts everyone to that particular um, attraction. So let us begin by um, going to, again, Ayede Machan's Ali of the Merchants. I am sorry that I am just slaughtering uh, my, um, my French because I don't have any really good French. One of the things I really kind of like about this particular piece is that the way Imagineers had designed the front portion of the French France Pavilion was to place the Eiffel Tower in a way that it looks like it's off in the distance and using the uh, the uh, important tool that they use of, in terms of scaling the size of the attraction, giving that sense that, it, that it's much taller than it really is. It's an interesting thing to come back around to the backside of the Eiffel Tower. It's not the backside of water, but it is the backside of the Eiffel Tower because here you have a much more immediate view as if you're probably only a block away or it's on the other side of the buildings where you're at. So it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a, a very different view and especially at night, and I have to say, this uh, this land looks as great in the evening as it does during the day. But with the Eiffel Tower all lit up at night, it is um, 
it is quite enjoyable. As you come to this alley, you walk along the river. It's the same one that you cross over when you're on the Skyliner. It all kind of lends itself to being in France. And in fact, the Skyliner um, uh, landing or station also takes on its own kind of European feel um, that ties very nicely um, with the, the, the sense of being in Paris. And, and all of it is very, very lovely. The, that first portion had opened up earlier, a couple of months ago, and it um, it was already available. I've talked about it in previous podcasts. It, there is a restroom available, very nicely done restroom, and very needed restroom. There's a large restroom uh, established in the UK Pavilion, and another large one that was just recently remodeled in the... Um, in the uh, Morocco pavilion, but there was really nothing to go to in France and it was overdue for having something, especially since this portion is kind of even further back away. So it's a perfectly located um, location. The architecture, the aesthetic, the details, I have to say they're just, there's some really fine finishings. If you just study the lamps, or the railings, or the ambient music, even the trash receptacles. All these things really nicely lend themselves to the um, the total aesthetic of being in the middle of Paris and experiencing all that that um, uh, entails. Love that aspect of it. Um, one of, now that said, there are some fun details in this setting. For instance, the manhole covers have a nice um, Ratatouille-style design. In fact, as you get toward the further back, as you get toward the entrance at the end of the street to Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, you get this Pixar cartoonish style in the building. It's kind of sensing that you kind of left the, the realism of what they tried to uh, derive in um, the front part of the France Pavilion and walking into something kind of much different um, as you go into um, this back corner of the park. Um, the um, Skyliner itself adds aesthetics and, and kinetics, especially as you come into this land. And as I mentioned, beyond the manhole cover, there are some fun details that you see one of them is a sign that simply says, um, again, excuse my French, Nadar Nassar, Inspector de la Santa Pública, in other words, the Inspector of Public Sanitation. Um, a very appropriate because, again, a reminder that uh, rats are not what you want. Another little building has uh, an address of 33. Trust me, this is not Club 33. Um, that uh, that you're seeing here, um, but it is um, it is uh, a noticeable sign there. There is this wonderful set of windows. One has um, on the door um, it um, um, Diego Diego Ego, um, which was the critic, the restaurant critic comes to the restaurant. His caricature is on the window of one, and then you see this is kind of like a a wine and food store that has been set up 
and um, it's got some very little details to notice. The note, remember in the Impression de, or the Ratatouille film, that um, Chef Skinner tries to sell anything and everything food-wise with the with the um, 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 uh, Gusto name on it, and you see that play out with things like the sardine cans. But there are also uh, these bottles of wine. In fact, they're set in in pairs. And one of them shows a date that relates back to the year that Ratatouille opened. Another sets back to the date in which um, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure opened at Disney, uh, or at the Walt Disney Studios Paris. And then one is for this year in, in which uh, Ratatouille's uh, the Remy's uh, Ratatouille Adventure opens up here. So again, little details. There were some motorbikes that were used in the film. Those are very popular in the sense that I can hardly ever get a photo because people are always taking a photo of themselves on it. Um, some bicycles. Um, not a lot of landscaping, but what is there is very uh, nicely finished and detailed. There are, in the architecture, you have the immediate building, but as you face Remy's Ratatouille Adventure to hide the, to hide the, uh, the back show building, which is, is, is quite sizable, they've kind of done this imprint um, skyline of Paris, which frankly, especially from the Skyliner, as you're riding through, kind of looks kind of cheap. But at the same time, I'm having second thoughts on it because, again, it kind of almost suggests that you're going into, again, sort of a, a fantasy cartoon world. So maybe that kind of makes, makes a little bit more sense. The other thing I should mention is the wonderful fountain um, that is in front of Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. It is uniquely themed to include rats on it because, of course, there are no other fountains in all of Walt Disney World that would have rats in it. <laughs> but of course, that's not true because, as we all know, there um, there is a uh, Rizzo and his buddies are in the fountain, um, <laughs> taking out the coins in the fountain in front of Muppet Vision over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Still, this is unique. It's got the champagne bottles kind of popping out with water uh, coming from that and and, uh, and again, the rats, it, it's a nice, it's a nice little effect. And again, all of this looks really nice at night as well during the day. It's just a really lovely setting. Before I move on to uh, food and beverage, I should also mention merchandise, which I mentioned in my previous podcast as we reviewed the attraction. One of the surprises is that you don't step out into a gift shop. Notwithstanding, they had a little kiosk well-themed to, uh, to Paris and with a really great array of fun Remy Ratatouille merchandise. It was kind of cool. Check it out when you see the video that we have for this. Um, it's It was fun. And, and lots of folks have purchased the, uh, the hat with Remy inside of it. It's uh, the chef's hat, and it's it's been a very popular uh, merchandise item. So kudos to, to Disney for that. And I'm wondering if they're thinking they should have had something bigger uh, for gift shop or merchandise. But notwithstanding, it, what it, they have is nice. A food and beverage. 
So um, what we have here is an interesting, uh, we have two offerings. We have La Creperie de Paris, and then we also have something um, a little less uh, fancy called crepes and porter, which is your takeout crepes. I did not have the opportunity or privilege in the two visits I had. It, um, it was closed on the first day we visited. And uh, the second day, there was a long line. The day was kind of coming to an end. And I was also kind of balancing my attention toward my daughter. And, and so the idea of standing in line and doing the indoor dining experience was, was not something I had a chance to enjoy. I have posted on Disney at play.com images from Disney of the food. It looks great. And uh, I very much, and, and there's a number of things. So you basically have these crepes coming into two categories. One being a savory uh, crepe, um, um, many of which are kind of made um, from buckwheat. And then you have the sweet crepes, which we're all a little bit more familiar with. In the restaurant, there's a classic of ham, egg, and cheese. There's a poulette, which is chicken, bechamel, cheese sauce, mushrooms, a chevet, goat cheese, spinach, walnuts, which sounds really good. Um, salmon, a smoked salmon with a creme fraiche. I'm just slaughtering this French. Chimes of lemon, ratatouille, which is tomatoes, zucchini, eggplant. I've heard one person describe that almost as kind of pizza-like. Um, Savoyade, which is raclette cheese, onions, and imported um, Bayonne ham. Bayonne ham. Those are the choices for the savory in La Creperie de Paris. In the um, restaurant, or in the uh, sweet category, they have a gourmand, a house-made hazelnut chocolate spread, whipped cream, a banana, uh, which is banana caramel beer sauce or whatever, a peach red uh, melba which is a peach red berry sauce and almonds sounds great poet which is the pear chocolate ganache whipped cream you have me on that one uh, there's some really hard choices here and then the palm which is caramelized apples and caramel um but sal again uh real slaughtered now there are also some um uh drinks hard ciders that you can buy um Looking into the restaurant, it looks beautiful and well decored. It looks more contemporary than you would expect. And frankly, doesn't seem very French-like. But again, I'm going to withhold that very initial perspective until I've had a chance to actually dine in the restaurant at some point in the future. What I did have the opportunity to do was to um, visit the, the um, outside um stand which um has a different menu and a shorter menu that crepes are imported um imported crepes it there is a cream of brie cheese galette which we had i loved it my daughter was not the least bit interested um the ratatouille i should have gotten that one to try it as well and then the bechamel cheese and ham galette I'm not very big on ham, so I don't think I would have taken that. But um, the cream of brie, what, um, that was very good. Even better were the sweet crepes. There was a butter and sugar crepe, a hazelnut and chocolate spread crepe, a red berries crepe, and a vanilla or chocolate ice cream crepe. 
I did the, we both did, and we shared all three of these, the hazelnut and chocolate spread crepe and the red berries crepe. And I got to tell you, I had said previously, you know, that they had removed the kiosk from the front of the park um, to doing this more uh, official dining kind of experience around crepes in the, in this area back of the, back of the house. And I was never a real fan of the um, crepes that were served in the kiosk because I always felt like once I got it, it just wasn't very filling. It wasn't very much. You know, they're very, very thin pancakes is what a crepe is made with a lot more egg. These were much more filling and they were delicious. And I would definitely have them again, even though I was enjoying them in the luxury of a um, standing table with uh, with no chairs, which of course is a lot better than the um, second choice, which is the um, uh, trash receptacle, which they have nice trash receptacles, mind you. What is interesting, and I took a photo of the crepes we enjoyed, compare the look of those crepes with Disney's photos of the ones from the restaurant. And um, it, which looks even more filling than the ones we had. If you look at ours, you would not say that looks like a filling crepe. They were filling. The ones in the pictures that they provide look even more filling. So I definitely say check this out. If you can get in and try it out, then definitely go for it. I think there's some food and beverage options. Again, a little expensive for crepes, but I would say that, um, well, everything in, in, in Epcot is expensive. And I just thought this was different and nice and fun. And um, I definitely at least would get a dessert crepe and try that out or a couple and share with um, whoever you are with. Now, having gone through food and beverage and the entire um, land itself, I want to revisit Remy's Ratatouille attraction. On my first visit, I had a chance to see, see it three times over. This time I did the same, um, visiting it three times over. The queues were much bigger on the second round or the second visit, um, but the queue was always going quickly. Uh, and that was, that was promising. Now that could all change really soon as uh, there is a challenge with, you know, folks paying and uh, folks uh, paying the premium price to get in. But I guess I, I just don't know that, that that many, maybe in the first months, people will pay the premium price. But I think over time that will go down. And I think most people will just simply be in the standby line, or the, which is initially a virtual queue. But I, I just don't think most people will be, be wanting to do that, um, pay that extra. And I don't think they'll need to. Uh, the queues move very quickly. There is this this side queue that's exterior it's got a lot of fans running for it um and it's shaded the design of this is similar to the train station in france which is similar to um the monorail station at the magic kingdom it's that wrought iron green paint you would swear it's the same color green as you have perhaps in uh, at the monorail station you just look at this and i have a photo in the disney at um, Disney at play.com post, you just study it. And honestly, there is more attention to detail here than you see at the monorail station. And 
much more detail. And, and this is just an outside cover for a, for, for a ride. So I was very impressed um, as I kind of went back and forth in that little queue there. You go inside. I mentioned the wallpaper. I mentioned uh, it being rather plain because there aren't wall hangings in the first couple of rooms there is this very unique wallpaper and i took an image of this it's it shows um the rats enjoying uh their food and a sort of eiffel tower made up of of utensils and salt shakers and everything it's it's quite clever the the room where you go into and you see gusto's sign lit up and gusto appears as a spirit so to speak comes alive so to speak one of the very cool things about that room is that along one end, there's a sort of wall that's probably about eight or nine feet, seven or eight feet, maybe seven or eight feet in height. But what it is, is it's separate. It's a separation of you from those who would have in the past been fast pass or those paying the extra amount to come on the attraction. What's really cool is that this, you share the same room, share the same view, and you feel like you are very much along the rooftops of Paris. This is, you, you, it, it's a shame it isn't London because honestly, you could have chimney sweeps here. It's, it's, and I love how they designed that. Likewise, when you step into the queue, now, the boarding area, you see a grander view of Paris in the distance. And it, this view is is quite, it's kind of a ways from the immediate rooftops that you're in. It's kind of far away. And what they've done, it's a very clever thing because when you, you're actually in the same room kind of as where you disembark from the rats at the end. But the last scene you have is this kind of cloistered scene of, of leaves and white Christmas lights hanging and and you see uh, the rats all joined for their little meal and it's very intimate the way that scene is set up and the roof is is much shorter in that place and it's the segue as you go into the area where you actually then disembark but why that's so short is because above you is what you can't see in the disembarkation you you're in a totally different scene that is um that is very different. You're on ground level with plants on top of you. But what's happening is above that is where this entire um, Paris scene takes place. And it is a great mural done black light style. Um, again, pushed back to kind of keep that black light intact and not have um, incidental light fall on it. Uh, it's just so clever. Also very great are just the props. The 3D props in the film, which are all oversized, still have a lot of details. One of the great things, I'd say great, it was kind of a bum because, you know, you spend a 10, 15 minutes sitting there doing nothing. But the ride came to a stop and it came to a stop in between two scenes. One of which is you come back into the kitchen and Linguini sweeps you away with the mop and and brushes you underneath the stove. And then from there, you move into a cart that goes into the main dining room where you are discovered um, by Chef Skinner, uh, who is busily serving um, 
ego at the at the at at his table. All of this was kind of in play when our little uh, ride vehicles, our rat ride vehicles, which honestly look more like mice than rats, but anyway, when they all came to an end, so we were able to kind of see this all play out. And I got images of it. You see this massive style broom in the room, which you might miss on the first couple of visits because it's kind of behind you, not in front of you as much. Uh, it's a little toward the side of you when you come in. Anyway, it, it, this massive broom is in the room. You have these massive wheels with the cart, which by the way, when the cart, when theoretically you are moving underneath the cart, the wheels of the cart move. So it's a very cool, cool effect. And, um, uh, Again, just lots of little details. One of the funny things that just really sticks at you when you are in the queue is you see exit signs all over for, for obvious reasons, but, but you feel like you are in such a French experience. You expect it to say sorry, which is the, the French word for exit. Um, you're so used to saying, I'm so used to seeing it when I'm in Paris and especially at Disneyland Paris. And uh, so I kept expecting these exercises to say, sorry, now that wouldn't work in an American, you know, you, you, the law says you got to do it in English, but it still was so, so interesting. I asked my daughter uh, what she thought of the attraction. She had not read any YouTube, watched any YouTube video, had never, was not really quite sure of what it was like. She knew kind of you were writing in a rat. Um, and it was, she knows very well, the movie of Ratatouille. So she was no foreigner to this, but she really did not know what was coming of all of this. Her comment was one of disappointment. She, and her first thought was, I'm surprised I didn't see any audio animatronics. Um, and that's interesting because it did, maybe because I knew enough about the attraction, I never supposed you know, are we missing an animatronic here or there? Um, I asked her if she, how this attraction compared to Frozen Ever After. And she said, I like Frozen Ever After much more, largely because of the animatronics. And and those animatronics, many of them have problems, not uh, not all of them, but, um, but the human face ones do with the projection. It just doesn't work out. It's not as nice as the seven dwarfs in, in their mind train uh, coaster. Um, she did come with me a second time to ride it the other day, um, but she really wanted to go on to something else and she really was in no hurry to, to return to the attraction. So you kinda, you kinda get a sense of, okay, this is a nice attraction. It's a, it's a D ticket, in my opinion, and an A, B, C, D, E ticket kind of thing. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a D ticket, but it's not quite the E that even Frozen Ever After could, well, obviously the Guardians of the Galaxy Coaster or Soarin' or Test Track or Mission Space, those are all definitely E tickets. And Spaceship Earth, I will say is an e-ticket attraction by virtue of what it attempts to do in the space and in the unique uh, building that it is in. In summary, I, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, my applause to management for opening this up early and getting 
lots of people to visit before the official opening date. They're really, they got the cast members in there over a period of days. They've done Club 33, they've done um, uh, DVC owners, they have done, um, they've been, been doing uh, the um, annual pass holders. It's just kumbaya. Um, and big thanks to to kind of making that available and possible. Now, I look at this and I think to myself, when you take not just the ride, but you add this entire street and the length of it and actually the little corner you had to turn to get there, and you think about the things you had to add, such as a restaurant, a counter service area, restroom, um, a kiosk, and really, you have the equivalent of a World Showcase Pavilion here. In and of itself, you could have opened this up as a world. In fact, I would dare say that it is bigger than, um, than other countries in World Showcase, such as the United Kingdom Pavilion or the Italy Pavilion or the German Pavilion, which, you know, all three of those do not have a... An attraction based on this and this one does have a major attraction now those are great lands but what would it have been like if we had opened up uh, and we could have said okay now we are going to have our 12th world showcase pavilion and it's going to be based on this now Disney wants to tie it to IP and there are only so many IPs I mean you you look at um, uh, well, Raya and the Last Dragon, it's based on a fantasy world called Kumandra, but it is inspired by a number of countries that are really not represented in World Showcase. Uh, countries like Singapore and, and Laos and Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam and the Philippines, Malaysia. Uh, coming out this fall is Encanto, which is based on uh, a enchanted place in a Colombian mountainscape. And nothing in Latin, nothing in South America is represented in World Showcase. We have um, Mexico well representing um, that country, but Mexico is not South America. And many people have thought maybe Brazil would not be far from coming. But again, the problem is, is there's other than the three caballeros in the same way that Donald or Panchito is, is connected to Mexico and Jose is connected to Brazil, you know, but, but they already have that attraction. So there's nothing to put there. Anyway, I just wonder in my own mind. Now, mind you, these, we don't even know how successful Encanto will be in the box office. And right in the last ride, that um that had to come out during the middle of the pandemic so that's a little unfair i don't know if these are apple orange comparisons i just think it would be great if we had another world showcase pavilion by the way you could say well yeah but ratatouille is a very successfully proven ip it is but it hasn't had any follow-up it has there's no disney plus extras there aren't any um follow-up films anything of that nature. Nobody, I think, is planning on the um, live action of, of Ratatouille. So, so as a result, 
um, uh, you know, there's challenges. And by the way, if you wanted to take a successful IP, it would be Mary Poppins, which has been suspended right now. And which would be great if it built out uh, the UK pavilion. Because again, as I mentioned earlier, it's smaller. But anyway, these are all the thoughts that are coming to me as I go through this new. Great to have it. It's, um, it's great to see the things that are coming out at Epcot. Uh, hopefully within another week or so, we'll have a chance to showcase the new creation shop and the Coke. Um, uh, cool. Um, Club Cool. Uh, Coca-Cola place uh, toward the front of the park. So looking to do more as we come into the days and weeks and months, seeing the construction already beginning on the Moana area. So these are all promising. And of course, this big um, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, coaster coming in. Just so many wonderful things happening. Oh, and I should mention, we're going to try to get to the new uh, restaurant, uh, space 220 um hopefully in the in the weeks to come so any rate lots of exciting things happening in epcot well thank you we appreciate you visiting and listening to us we appreciate your patronage your friendship and your listening ear to make these websites and podcasts possible could you perhaps help us in some of the following ways. One, in addition to the podcast you listen to, the, the channel you're on, please visit disneyatplay.com, disneyatwork.com, and subscribe to our website. That way you get notices of new posts and podcasts coming out. Second, if you like what we have to offer, please go to iTunes and offer us a favorable rating and even a review. This helps notify others and puts us a little closer to the top of the food chain, food chain there uh, in terms of what we have to offer. Three, if you like videos, not just of Walt Disney World, but of parks throughout the world, like um, the ones we've been showing lately, please visit J. Jeff Kober on YouTube and subscribe there. That way you can be also notified of upcoming videos when they come out. And finally, please join the Wayfinder Society. For as little as a dollar a month, and this is brand new, for as little as a dollar a month, this Patreon group not only helps to support this podcasting and the attending websites, also gives you access to one of our Disney Play interactive guides. There are four tiers to the society, two of which are available to all who love Disney and our fans. The second two not only celebrate all things Disney, but focuses on best and business practices from Disney that you can apply to your own organization. Um, all of them offer unique interactive offerings that are yours because you have contributed to this podcast. So check it out. Um, we're happy to announce that the first Explorer tier is now only $1 a month. And with that, you not only get to support us, but you'll receive access to one of our Disney of Play discoveries, the Pandora World of Avatar. I'm telling you, this is the most um, comprehensive guide to... Um, to that new land at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And by the way, go to disneyatplay.com and you can actually take a look at two sneak peeks at um, some of these interactive guides to see, again, if joining us would be something that works for you. At any rate, thanks for being a part and thanks 
for subscribing and joining us. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, please remember, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. Thank you.